You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. Sophie and Chris are off tonight. For the second time in about as many months, a teenager has died of a suspected drug overdose on Vancouver Island. Today, support is being offered in the Souk School District to those grieving the loss of grade 10 student Dorian Wright. Kylie Stanton has our top story. Students gather outside Belmont High School, many still in shock over losing one of their own. Everybody's like, it's not the same without him, and it's really emotional. Um, it's really sad. Like He was very loved by like everyone around him. Grade 10 student Dorian Wright died on Sunday. In an email sent out to parents, the school's principal says, It is with much regret that I inform you of the death of a member of our school community. It goes on to confirm Wright died of a drug overdose. This is a really tough time to have a loss like this. I think the potency of the drugs that are available right now is very concerning. Friends say Wright struggled with anxiety and was reliant on a prescription for Xanax to manage it. There's speculation that snowballed into an addiction. I know that he had Xanax and heroin and I'm not sure what else. There was one other thing. He was really a beautiful boy. This family knows the pain all too well. My heart just broke wide open yet again. In April, their 16-year-old son Elliot died of an accidental overdose. He was prescribed powerful opioids to help manage his pain after a series of surgeries. That led to street drugs. According to the Infant Care Act, kids under 19 are allowed to make medical decisions for themselves if their physicians believe they are mature enough to understand the risks. Elliot went so far as to block his parents' access to his files. Now, they're working to change that, meeting with the Green Party leader Andrew Weaver on Friday to try and amend the act. Until this legislation is changed, until the standard of care that physicians apply is modified to consider the vulnerability of a youth mind and the overuse of opiates in a prescribed fashion, these deaths will continue. But for Dorian, it's too late. I find it really upsetting. The school is encouraging parents to use this tragedy to talk to their children about the dangers of drugs. It could quite literally be a matter of life or death. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. New stats indicate the number of people dying of overdoses in B.C. is down, but the numbers are still shocking. According to the coroner's service, 124 people lost their lives to illicit drug overdoses during the month of April. Now, that is about four lives every day. It's down 18 percent from April of last year and down 23 percent from March. Men account for 80 percent of deaths. There are three areas experiencing the highest number of deaths are Vancouver, Surrey and Victoria. A Surrey family is speaking out tonight, sharing their heartbreak and anguish. Their son is one of two teens gunned down and left by the side of a rural Surrey road. Tonight, John Waugh has more on their call for justice and their plea to the community. I can't live without it. <laughs> Jason Singh Jutti was the kind of child who always checked in. So when he failed to call home Monday night, his mother couldn't shake the feeling. Something was wrong. I look everywhere. <laughs> I look everywhere. I couldn't find my son. <laughs> At five o'clock the next morning came the news no parent can bear to hear. Two people came my home and they said, Your son got killed. <laughs> the 16 year old and his friend, 17 year old Jesse Singh Bangal, were found dead by the side of the road on 188th Street and 40th Avenue. Homicide investigators say it was a targeted shooting. 
The Juddy family insists that doesn't mean they got the right people. It's a lot of, you know, mistaken identities, you know, so, and, you know, we're families of brown kids, you know, so we really, you know, tried, you know, to just prevent everything we could. The 11th grader at Frank Hurst Secondary School is remembered as a helpful friend and good student. Juddy dreamed of becoming an electrician, and his sister says the teen was outspoken about how the gang lifestyle was ruining their community. So we're really, really urging anyone who has information in regards to what happened that day, please come forward, please. This can happen to our, happen to my brother, this can happen to anyone. The family is also calling on parents whose children are wrapped up in gangs to stop hiding the truth. Whoever did this took the happiness out of two homes, you know, two children who had very bright futures. God knows I would do anything to see his face one more time. For a mother now left clutching onto the memory of her youngest son. This is my baby. I can't live without my baby. There will be no closure until she knows why someone stopped her beloved boy from calling in that horrible night. John Hua, Global News. Outrage tonight at the acquittal of a man who was driving almost three times the speed limit when he slammed into another driver at Oak and 41st in Vancouver. Ramina Dea joins us live. And Ramina, the victim's family feels the judge's decision is incomprehensible. We just spoke to them a few moments ago, Colleen, and family members are just stunned and they feel re-traumatized by this ruling. The driver, Ken Chung, has been acquitted of one count of dangerous driving causing death. Now, Dr. Alphonse Asui was on his way to work in Vancouver in 2015 when Chung smashed into his car. Chung was doing 140 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone, 119 kilometers at the moment of impact. Dr. Hui died from multiple blunt force trauma at the scene. Now, Judge Rideout noted that despite the fatal and tragic consequences, the momentary excessive speeding did not meet the legal test to find criminal fault. The victim's family says the ruling makes absolutely no sense. It is a slap in the face to my family, to my father, but it's also extremely dangerous that these are the standards that we're upholding our citizens by and we're basically saying to the public that they can kill without consequence. It flies in the face of right and wrong, um, our morality as human beings, and it re-traumatizes my family. Now, Colleen, just weeks ago, Chung was actually found guilty in an unrelated case of excessive speeding from 2017. That's two years after the doctor was killed. Crown will be appealing the acquittal. Back to you. Thanks, Romina. A heavy police presence in downtown Chilliwack this morning. RCMP were called to the 45,000 block of Wellington Avenue for a report of someone in medical distress. When police arrived, emergency personnel were already treating a victim suffering life-threatening injuries. That person died at the scene. The integrated homicide investigation team was called in and portions of the street blocked off as police combed the scene. IHIT is now identifying the victim as 25-year-old Zachariah Nicoli Cross of Chilliwack. They say he was known to police and believe his death to be targeted.
Vancouver police are issuing a warning after seeing an increase in so-called distraction thefts. Jennifer Palma explains how the scam works and who's being targeted. Eight times in less than a month. That's the number of times seniors have been victims of distraction thefts. These thieves are very smooth and will get into your personal space very quickly. The thieves seem to be currently zeroing in on the east side of Vancouver at people's homes, although in one instance at a value village. So how do they do it? The thieves are in vehicles. They get out when they spot seniors wearing visible jewelry. They then approach the elderly victim offering free or inexpensive jewelry, or they appear frantic asking for directions. Aggressive is not necessarily the right word that I would like to use. I'd like to use overwhelming. It's a, it appears to be a technique that they're using. They're coming up, they're engaging in conversation. So it could, it could start off as being very casual. But this crime is making its way around the metro area. It's the type of theft Geraldine Steele knows all too well. The 81-year-old was robbed in her Coquitlam neighborhood while going out for an afternoon walk. Thieves pulled over in a van asking for directions. You're a nice lady for giving us direction. And I walked a half a block and I looked, my other ring and my bracelets are gone. I'm cleaned. Police are asking family and friends to tell loved ones about this scam and to be cautious if someone enters their personal space. So far in these recent attacks, no one has been seriously hurt. You try to get your space and you try to communicate verbally that back up, get away from me. Uh, but if that's not the case and you feel that your safety is at issue, the property can be replaced. Um, just please give us a call. A suspect description hasn't been offered up by Vancouver police since many people seem to be involved in this targeted theft. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Police in North Vancouver are investigating four suspicious grass fires in the Mosquito Creek area. Two occurred on May 23rd in the creek area north of Highway 1, and two occurred on June 5th in the Larson area. One of the fires spread quickly, threatening nearby homes. Police have identified two persons of interest. The first, a white male, approximately 19 years old, who has severe acne and was wearing gray shorts. The second, he's a man described as South Asian, 5 feet 6 inches tall, when dressed in black. Anyone who may have information on the fires or the persons of interest is asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. Thieves appear to be siphoning gas from a volunteer fire department. Crews in McLeese Lake in the Caribou discovered the theft when they were called to an emergency over the weekend and one of their pumper trucks wouldn't start. Park this thing full of fuel. I mean, there's a check sheet. You know, you do the check sheets when you're finished. And I've checked full. Now, six days ago, it hasn't gone anywhere. I get out and I knock the tank and it's just hollow. And so... There's no puddle of fuel underneath it, so it's, yeah, it was siphoned out. A second truck had also been siphoned, but luckily enough had enough fuel left to get the crews to the fire. The hall is now looking at setting up cameras to monitor the trucks until new, more secure hall can be built. The provincial government is considering a new idea that could go a long way to alleviate ICBC's massive financial woes. The corporation is in the midst of a major overhaul, an effort to lift it out of the red. Ted Chernicki explains why more of those brick-and-mortar claim centres could be liquidated. There's more reaction to yesterday's protest from auto glass installers who claim the province is unfairly targeting them to save anywhere from six to nine million dollars. The six million for glass to me is, you know, it's picking up nickels in front of the steamroller, as they say. 
McCandless has written extensively about ICB's financial woes and glass installers' alleged overcharging, he says, is way down the list. The installers needed only to look across the street at a vastly underutilized claim centre. They're a thing of the past, Ted. They're, uh, they're, most of them are empty and uh, they're costing ICBC millions of dollars to run that. This is the second time in three weeks we drove through this claim centre and it looked like this both times. ICBC says that's because it was only recently reopened. But others are asking if this is a cavernous waste of your insurance dollars or an example of a crown corporation that hasn't adjusted to its own policy changes. That's why the minister says everything's being considered, including closing more claim centres. So ICBC has significant real estate assets that are part of the insurer's uh, capital that they operate from. It's everything from the huge headquarters on the North Shore to these old uh, claim centres that they've got uh, in some places across the province. Uh, ICBC is looking at uh, potentially selling some of these properties. Since privatizing damage estimators, ICBC says about 70% of its claims now go directly to auto repair shops, but the union thinks they should return to the way it was done before. What we'd like to see is there be actually the ability for car people to drive in and see an estimator again. Uh, I think that is a, you know, we we certainly believe that's a better model than what we have now. There are 35 of these claim centers province-wide. All are under the microscope for cost efficiencies. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The challenge of finding a family doctor in this province is hardly a new one. Today, in an effort to address the problem and to ease the burden on emergency rooms, the NDP rolled out a new initiative aimed at improving timely access to health care. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria. And Keith, these are called urgent primary care centres. Where are the centres going to be located and, and how will they work? Yeah, I think a lot of people are interested in where they're going to be. Today's was in uh, Surrey, across the street from Surrey Memorial Hospital. I expect they're going to be in large urban, uh, urban centers where they can serve most of the patients. But these are going to be different than emergency rooms. It's basically a team-based approach to healthcare, Colleen. Uh, today's announcement attended by uh, physicians, probably some of whom, and nurses who will be working in these facilities. It'll involve nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, met mental health professionals. The one in Surrey is expected to also attend attach up to 5,000 people to family doctors. That's part of the, the big plan here from Adrian Dix. It's, a, I think, a pretty innovative approach to healthcare. And again, today was the first one. And he talked to Adrian Dix today about the impact it could have on reducing visits to the emergency room across the street. We know um, that uh, approximately the way we keep statistics, 35% of people think they go to the ER when they don't need to because they don't have other options. And this is particularly true in the evening. 25% um, of people who are treated in ERs on our, the way we estimate things could get their care here um, uh, should that be required. So the center, this new center in Surrey is expected to open uh, to be able to treat patients as early as October, as expected to be the other uh, pa uh, centers out there across the province. Tomorrow, another one announced, uh, to be announced in Kamloops. These uh, new primary centers are going to be open uh, from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. So you won't be necessarily have to go to your, your emergency ward, your local emergency ward. You'll have access to this unique form of health care that gives you access to doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, and mental health professionals. It's one of the biggest changes, I think, in B.C. healthcare in more than a decade. Might take some getting used to. All right. Thanks, mm -hmm. Keith. It's a graphic example of how far metal thieves will go these days. In a recent incident, suspects break into a business and cut metal parts off vehicles. And this time, it's all caught on camera. Aaron MacArthur reports. Middle of the night, a truck pulls up to the gate of a local film production company. Suspicious. 
So the suspect comes back for a second try. And this time, he strikes pay dirt. Cut the exhaust system out of an F-450 pickup truck. The whole thing? The entire exhaust. This industrial complex in Burnaby has been hit repeatedly over the last couple of years. Owners say everything that isn't nailed down is stolen, including the gas from inside the tanks. Our van was out of service for a week and, you know, we had to rent another van and, you know, it costs a lot of money. That adds up. For what? $50 of gas, the rest of it dumped on the parking lot that goes into Still Creeks. Thieves are after parts for resale or perhaps scrap metal. According to police, the catalytic converters are of particular interest. Two people have been arrested in Burnaby and RCMP reminding scrap metal dealers not to take parts they're unsure of. If somebody comes to you and is wanting to sell this item, a catalytic converter, and it appears obvious that it's stolen, that uh, call the police, don't accept the the part um, because it's it's stolen and it's part of a crime and it's evidence. Peacemaker Films not taking things for granted here. Instead, installing better security cameras and more sensors. I'm hopeful that police will step up their patrols and start having more of a presence down here. All in the name of maybe catching the guys who are preying on hardworking business owners. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. RCMP are revealing more tonight about the arrest of an alleged money launderer who was using the River Rock Casino in Richmond. RCMP say Dan Bui Shun Jin is suspected of laundering more than $800 million through Australian casinos. They arrested Jin a few days after he arrived in B.C., supported by River Rock Casino surveillance. They say Jin was carrying more than $75,000 at the time. I think this is a huge impact to British Columbia and Canada. He's uh, Mr. Dan Jin, allegedly has laundered over $800 million. It spanned from over Macau, Singapore, Australia, the United States. And with the partnership of all our stakeholders, we're able to prevent money laundering. Jin has been issued a deportation order and is being held in detention pending his removal. Some flood evacuees near Osoyoos are voicing frustration tonight. They say they've been living in hell since returning home. An evacuation order was lifted for the Willow Beach Mobile Home Park last Friday, but there's no power, no water, and no sewer service. And as Shelby Tom reports, the property owner was still charging residents full rent until Global News stepped in. It's terribly frustrating. Susan Shinderick had been forced from her Willow Beach mobile home for 29 days and counting due to floodwaters. You can see here on the wall that's left where the high water mark was. While the evacuation order was lifted a week ago. Nothing. There was no power. No water. And no sewer or water. Residents of the 17 homes are scrambling to find out when they can return. There's no communication between all of us and the people who are supposed to be looking after us. It has been beyond frustrating. Cheryl Smith also demanding answers. Take the responsibility as property owner to get the services for the people who live here. Property manager Carol Youngberg declined to comment. A representative for the owner, Infinity Property, says it's trying to get services back up and running. It says Fortis turned on power to the common facilities. But won't turn the power back on to any individual mobile home until those specific units are inspected by an electrical contractor. Originally, there wasn't going to be financial relief for residents. Why are you still charging residents pad rent if they can't live there and there's no services provided? The, the 
issue or, you know, the, the flooding was outside of our control. I think that's absolutely outrageous. We can't live here. What are we paying for? Even if you're not going to be a good landlord, be a decent person. But after our conversation, Turner had a change of heart. He says they will rebate a portion of May's rent to tenants. We do try and be as compassionate as we can. As for when power will be restored, Fortis BC says units deemed safe will be re-energized today. Shelby Chum, Global News, near Asuyas. If you're one of the many people shocked and disappointed by the closure of the popular visitor center in Merritt, the city's mayor says he's fighting to get it up and running again. The provincial government closed the center in January, saying keeping it open and doing necessary upgrades would cost too much. The center was a popular stop for thousands of travelers on their way to or from the lower mainland. Well, now Merritt's mayor is hoping to convince the province to reopen it. It might have been, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of million dollars, uh, but for a place like this in a location with five highways coming into this particular area and they spend two, $2 million up at, Loon, at the Loon Lake uh, exit, it's way off the road, it's inconvenient, it's on the wrong side for people going through, not a good exit like we have here. Uh, if they'd have spent that money here, these people would be happy and, and it would be a, a very thriving information booth. Menard says the closure is diverting visitors away from his community. New helicopter video gives a better indication of the scale of the massive flow of lava from Mount Kilauea's Fissure 8 in what's called the Lower East Rift Zone. The U.S. Geological Survey says nearly 300 homes are believed to have been destroyed. The lava has wiped out an entire neighborhood and destroyed most of another with still no way of knowing when all of this will end. The death toll in the eruption of a Guatemalan volcano is nearing 100, with 200 more still missing. The recovery has sparked a new mission, to get severely injured children to where they'll get the best treatment possible. It was an urgent rescue mission. Doctors and nurses carefully moving some of the youngest burn victims from Guatemala's volcano disaster onto ambulances. Then an Air Force plane. Hours later, the precious cargo, six girls, arriving in Galveston, Texas. Juan Jose Aquino rescued two of his daughters from the volcano's fury. He says they saw homes collapsing around them, but somehow survived. Stunning satellite images revealed the destruction. This was the village of Los Lotes before the eruption. This is after. 16-year-old Edmund Garcia barely escaped that town, but lost his father and brother. I never expected this, he says. It's hard not being home. Thousands like him are now in emergency shelters. How great is the need right now? No, it's, it's, very, it's very big. Head of the International Red Cross at a makeshift morgue near a school where there were 80 bodies and more coffins than answers. It's so painful, Juana Boku says. She lost three daughters. The pain here is raw. Relative after relative waiting for the news that may or may not ever come. Pedro Orizabal has been waiting here in this spot for four days, waiting to see the remains of his daughter and 17 members of his extended family. I have nothing left, he says. The sudden eruption was terrifying. Now the wait is unimaginable. A giant tornado rolled through Wyoming and it was all caught on camera. Have a look at this. The U.S. National Weather Service says this was one of a number of storms and was on the ground for at least 45 minutes. There was some damage to structures and power lines, but thankfully, 
No injuries have been reported. It's a plane! On the highway! (laughs) Yeah, an unexpected traffic hazard today in Gainesville, Florida. A Cessna 172 was headed for a regional airport with two people on board when the pilot reported engine problems. He landed safely on Interstate 75. Fortunately, no one was hurt. In Ontario, the Global News Election Desk is projecting a progressive conservative majority tonight, and that means Doug Ford will be the next premier of that province. Some technical glitches delayed results. Elections Ontario was forced to extend voting hours at seven of the province's approximately 7,200 polls, but wouldn't exactly say why. Voters are casting their ballots in a race between Doug Ford's conservatives and the NDP led by Andrea Horvath. Liberal leader Kathleen Wynne issued a stunning statement conceding her party's looming defeat just days before the election. There are questions about whether her party now, which has held power for 15 years, will even get enough votes to retain official party status. In Health Matters tonight, research involving hundreds of Victoria teenagers has some troubling findings about marijuana use. The 10-year study found that people who start using pot at a young age and continue using it more likely to have health problems. The study also shows that young, long-term pot users have less workplace and educational success in young adulthood. A University of Victoria professor says with legalization around the corner, it's important to understand the effects of cannabis use on young people whose brains aren't fully formed. For this age group, it's particularly a concern because this is when you're building your life, right? This is when you're building your career and your education. And it's hard to get back on this train if you fall off. So we're very concerned about uh, particularly um, being able to identify kids who are using large amounts and being able to actually offer them some kind of treatment. The light is about to turn green, but the senior is moving too slowly. How a traffic cop in China goes above and beyond. We're going to have that story for you right after the forecast. And Christy is out at Ronald McDonald tonight, house tonight and getting an early dinner, right? <laughs> yes, a whole mouthful of flavors for everyone here. Yes, so this is where uh, we're bringing together Vancouver's top chefs and mixologists, Colleen. And it's a little friendly competition here at the Ronald McDonald House. It's the Celebrity Chefs Challenge that they have uh, each year. And uh, the reason for it is, of course, to bring some fun to the house, uh, provide some food for all the guests here, but also to give back to the community, uh, the Ronald McDonald House family that always uh, helps out uh, each year, the board members, the committee members. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit uh, about weather, and then we'll talk to Richard Pass in a second, the CEO of the Ron McDonald House. A weather alert for the southern interior, the Kootenai and the Columbia region. Uh, as we head into the weekend, what you're going to see is Friday night and into Saturday, a whole bunch of rain, thunderstorms, and gusty winds. It'll be mild at that point, but we haven't had much rain at all in these areas, so it will be a significant change. But the key here is also on Sunday, thunderstorms and showers continue, but the temperatures are going to drop. So if you're traveling any of the mountain passes on Sunday, there is a possibility of snow. That temperature is really going to drop. Uh, It's because of the jet stream. Can you see it driving towards the south coast? So that's going to slide further east, bringing in that cooler air mass right across the province. And yes, temperatures will drop here in the south coast. Also, there's the rain just has starting to push in. We're still dry here now, but overnight, we'll start to see the periods of rain and it will continue on and off through the day tomorrow. Considering we 
we've had just over two millimeters of rain in Vancouver for the last month, maybe month and a bit. Uh, this is going to be significant. 15 to 20 millimeters, a bulk of that along the North Shore. Fraser Valley, not as much for you, but really uh, heavier amounts towards the Squamish area. So there's your forecast for uh, the northern regions, periods of rain there. You do have a chance of showers in through the central interior and a risk of thunderstorms and down through the south we will see that as well. So very unstable tomorrow. Uh, that's just starting to ve- develop in the southern regions. Really, the bulk of your moisture not set to push in until Friday night, whereas the south coast region starting tonight, and we'll see that through the day tomorrow, and you can see the temperatures there, 16 as our high. And we continue with cooler conditions through the weekend, hoping for some more breaks of sunshine, but we are going to remain unsettled. The majority of the dry weather not expected until uh, into the early parts of next week. I'd like to welcome to you uh, Richard Pass. He's the CEO of the Ronald McDonald House. Thanks so much for having us here. This is such a fun night for the families here and, of course, uh, the people that give and support to BC uh, to um, Ronald McDonald House. It is a great night, Christy. Thanks so much uh, for uh, coming over and doing uh, doing this for us. You know, the Chef's Challenge, this is our fourth anniversary uh, here at the new house serving 73 families, and uh, it's an opportunity to have some fun and to have a really incredible evening for the families and, and some of our donors and, and supporters uh, so that they can uh, taste the food and um, just have a really fun night and uh, knowing that they're here for the families and to support the families. And the chefs get really get into it because they were given a challenge to, uh, what was it? The challenge was to try and represent um, the Ronald McDonald House with a, a whole boatload of fl- flavors. And they really have done that. You and I just had a taste. Absolutely. It's, um, it's great because they do something different in each kitchen and you go around to each of the kitchens and there are four and then uh, uh, taste the food. And at the end, we all get to vote and uh, then one of the chefs will be the winner. I'm looking forward to voting and tasting a little bit more. Of course, Ronald McDonald House is always a need here. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Ronald McDonald House is a home away from home where families stay when their child is seriously ill and have treatment at Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, this house uh, serves 73 families at a time. In the four years that we've been open on this location, uh, we've served over 8,000 families. Mm-hmm. And so it's an incredible situation where we try to keep families together and close so that they can uh, help their child heal and uh, and. And uh, it's just really uh, a positive environment for the kids and families. It really is like a home away from home for the kids here. So thank you so much for having us here. I urge you to go to the website. Uh, it's on your screen there right at the bottom, rmhbc.ca. There you can see a fantastic new video that they've just put out, just giving you an idea of what the families go through that have children here at BC Children's Hospital. So thank you so much, Richard. And uh, yeah, we hope you can go and check out the website, maybe... Have a, put in a little donation. All right, Colleen, I'll hand it back to you now. Important cause and what a great event. Thanks, Christy. Surveillance video from China shows a traffic cop going above and beyond the call of duty. You have to see this. A man shuffles across the street in front of traffic that, well, it's about to get a green light. Some vehicles are already moving. Recognizing the potentially dangerous situation, a traffic cop steps in. Thinking fast, he hoists the man onto his back and dodges traffic getting safely across the street. Awesome. And this video is getting a lot of attention online. An unidentified woman who clearly has a special connection with wildlife. She leads a flock of Canadian geese, Canada geese rather, safely across Main Street near the SkyTrain station to a grassy area in front of the Pacific Central uh, rail station there. No word on who the woman is or whether she makes a regular habit of crossing guard duty. Good for her. Well, after the absence of more than two decades, a beloved maritime tradition is returning to Vancouver. 
Yeah, a lot of people remember this. I know I do. The annual Nanaimo to Vancouver bathtub race. That tradition ended back in 1996, but a different version will be resurrected this summer. As part of this year's Kits Fest, between 10 and 20 motorized tubs will compete on a circuit at the north end of Kits Beach. Do you remember that? You know what I remember about that? When I was a little kid, there was always the mayor of Nanaimo named Frank Ney. Frank Ney. He used to dress up as like as some like pirate. Or Captain Vancouver right, or something. Right. Some sort of old naval officer. Anyway, that's so how I remember So much about fun. That. I just remember It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And they used to deal. go across the strait, which is a little bit scary. Yeah, no, they don't do that anymore, thank goodness. Squire is here. Here we are. Let's go. You ready? Yes. This could very much be a golden night for the Washington Capitals. They are one win from finally getting their hands in the Stanley Cup. And think about this. The Capitals actually won the President's Trophy for the best regular season record in 2016 and 2017. So this team has been overdue to do something big in the playoffs. Now, Vegas cannot be counted out, of course, but it appears it's getting very close to midnight for hockey Cinderella. You're not supposed to tap guys before the game. Oh, oh. Ovechkin taps Flurry. Now he's going to tap him back a little bit harder, I might add. All right, let's play hockey. Speaking of tapping, Ovechkin taps the post in the first period. No score. Second period. Jacob Vrana. He's loose. And he scores. And after you see this goal one more time, look at Ovechkin's reaction on the bench. He is one goal closer to lifting the cup. <laughs> then Vegas tied it. Then right after Vegas tied it, Ovechkin again. They were announcing the Vegas goal when Ovechkin scores on the power play. That made it 2-1. But Vegas has tied it again. So they are 2-2 late in the second period. All right. In order for the Lions to bounce back from that dreadful 2017 season, they will need a much better offense, and they've made all the moves you think would be needed to have a better offense. They have a new coordinator, Jarius Jackson, therefore a new philosophy, and a reconstructed offensive line, which had some rather unfortunate holes in it last year. Second and long, three-man rush, but they get home again. The Lions did lead the CFL in one stat in 2017. Sacks allowed, 49 of them, or nearly three per game. Allowing that amount of sacks is pretty disruptive to an offense. And to offensive line coach Dan Durazio, it was personally embarrassing. If it doesn't go well up front, uh, I'm the guy in charge. So if you want to say what happened wrong, it was Dan Durazio. Maybe Dan Durazio didn't do his job. Um, if we can do that, uh, you know, everything's going to be polished and silent. Open, touchdown, Brian Burnham. Ah, springtime in Paris. It's uh, Rafael Nadal, the king of clay, quarterfinals, French Open, Diego Schwartzman from Argentina. They started this match the day before, but rain forced them to wait until today. Schwartzman won the first set, Nadal won the next two. Watch this. If you were a net, this is what Nadal would look like. Fighting his way out of a break. Same point. That's good serving volley. Okay. It was pretty much all Nadal after losing the first set. I like Schwartzman though. Five feet seven inches tall. You don't often see a short tennis player who's that good. That's as tall as me. Yeah, uh, yes. Well, see? Quite a difference. 
Good player, though, but he's out as Nadal moves on to face Juan Martín del Potro, who's also from Argentina in the uh, semifinals. Sloan Stevens and Madison Keys are buddies. They met in last year's U.S. Open final, and Sloan Stevens won. She won the first set here, 6-4. Winner gets Simona Halep, or Halep make that in the final of the Women's Championship, and it's Stevens in straight sets, who beats her friend and moves on to the French Open final. Speaking of uh, finals, Gabrielle Dabrowski of Ottawa was in the mixed doubles final, but she lost that final. There you go. Thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. A heartwarming update on an injured sea line is coming up. But first, here's Kasia Budurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia. All right, let's head to the beach first, but not for your typical experience. Bard on the Beach presents Shakespeare all summer on Vancouver's waterfront. It's Western Canada's largest not-for-profit professional Shakespeare festival. Friday night, we'll be burning down the house at the annual Barn Burner, an all-star lineup featuring Stephen Page, Odds, Barney Bentle, and others. Join them and the North Vancouver Firefighters for this charity event emceed by yours truly. Celebrate the North Coast lifestyle at the 40th annual SeaFest this weekend. It's Prince Rupert's largest festival, jam-packed with events, activities, food booths, and entertainment. Surrey Nature Centre is celebrating their 10th anniversary and you're invited. It's a day of fun with face painting, henna, guided nature walks, entertainment, and let's not forget, birthday cake and refreshments. It's free, rain or shine. Now on Wednesday, the Vancouver International Bhangra Celebration begins. A festival where South Asian culture is expressed, multiplied and transformed. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. It was a heartbreaking story. A California sea lion found on Spanish banks near death because of the apparent cruelty of humans. But as Linda Aylesworth tells us, he had now has a new lease on life. Meet the newest resident of the Vancouver Aquarium. Cinco. He recognizes his name and, uh, and he responds to, to that. You may not recognize his face, but you might remember his story. The enormous California sea lion was discovered last year, listless and emaciated on the beach in Spanish banks, and was brought to the Marine Mammal Rescue Center for treatment. It was the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo, thus the name. So Cinco um, was shot. He was shot at least twice um, with a fairly low caliber, probably 22 caliber bullets. Um, those uh, bullets went through his lower left jaw, shattered a canine, some other teeth as well. The bullets also penetrated his skull, severing his optic nerve, leaving Cinco totally blind. And yet, he slowly recovered his health. And so him surviving that and coming back, gaining probably about 140 kilograms, which is unbelievable. But because of his vision loss, Cinco can't go back to the wild. So yesterday, he was at last introduced to his new home at the Vancouver Aquarium. He just backed out, and then his back flipper touched the water, which is kind of cool. And he kind of went, oh, there's water behind me. So then he slurred, came, you know, came around and then started exploring right away. It's kind of neat. In no time, he was finding his way around, memorizing the new landmarks. Those vibrissae, those whiskers are forward, you know, reaching out like little hands from his face. And they're not only going to feel things as they touch, they're also going to feel the water bouncing off some things. This is the first time the aquarium's trainers have worked with a blind sea lion, but they're already coming up with innovative training tools. This one here is a special one for Cinco. 
it's a rattle. So he uh, obviously he can hear the rattle. He can't see the target, but he can come to the sound. Whatever happened to Cinco, we can't change that, but we can change what happens for the rest of his life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. My goodness, he's a big boy. He is. Two of us and then some. And then some. And then some, yeah. Hard to believe. Thanks for joining us tonight. Anne and Jay are back here for Global News at 11 o'clock. Have a great evening.